And then in Newcastle, they have a little island with 12,000 tonne of the same stuff that would literally remove Newcastle from the map. So I hope they move that very quickly, very far and apart. The setting reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 18 to 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the word of the Lord. We're going to talk about this morning is what it really is the outworkings of reconciliation. I mentioned last Sunday we must find ways of engaging each other in a conversation that eventually will or may lead us to a reconciliation or at least, as I said then, a temporal truce or some kind of peace. Well, the reason for the step back from full reconciliation to a possible truce or some kind of peace was to highlight the fact that really you and I, we are not able to achieve a true reconciliation no matter how hard we go. There's always only one and ever one way to achieve full reconciliation and that way was the cross of Christ. That's where that was achieved. It was nothing you and I have done that had brought this about other than the fact that our sins made that a requirement. For us to be able to hope for one day to live with our creator God in heaven. But let us pray, let us seek a deep and true understanding of how this miracle has been working out in our lives. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Father, we come to you to thank you for this message that Paul has given us, that you gave him. We do pray, Lord, that it will sit deeply in our hearts, that we will reflect on it. Reflect on the message, but reflect on who we are and what it is that we may need to do. But more importantly, Lord, we need to reflect on your goodness and willingness to save us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to put all this into some sort of context and to be able to distinguish what is from man and then what is from God... We are running churches today with all sorts of methods and strategies. We even have different ministry styles. We have in our ranks people that would dearly want us to focus on our outreach energies and social services and social justices and all because it will be good for the gospel uh, but for people's opinion of us. All of those sort of things are certainly working in some ways, but we need to have the focus 
on who brought all this about. That sort of focus and ministry doesn't consider nor understand what really true reconciliation is. If we actually understand this, we will also focus on what God wants us to focus on. We need to understand what is it that he wants for us, not what we want for him. And reading from verse 18, all this is from God. And when he says all this is salvation and reconciliation, that is what he's been speaking about in the previous passages. All fully and completely achieved by God alone, through Christ alone. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what is this ministry of reconciliation that we have received? Well, to put it plainly, it's actually evangelism. It is outreach. It is going out sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world at large. We go out into a sinful world, inform them of their sinfulness through the word of God in the Bible. And by this, the people will have been called by God, will then have also, of course, have the Holy Spirit placed in them, and they will understand through the word of God that we share with them, they will understand who they are, and that will bring them to repentance, and they will be reconciled to God. That is, simply put, that is our ministry. The gospel of reconciliation was always at the heart of Paul's teaching. To the Romans he wrote to them in chapter 1, verse 15, That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. It's very much at the very, very heart of Paul. He also expresses this heartfelt desire to preach in his first letter to the Corinthian church, this church we are here dealing with. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ would be emptied of its power. Then my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that our faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but our faith will rest on God's power. See, it is this strongly theological section that Paul gives you and I an incredible and comprehensive statement of how God made this reconciliation possible. He's really just put the whole thing in a very strong focus for us. The text clearly gives us an indisputable understanding of the reconciliation is God's will only and by the act of forgiveness and the obedience of faith. And the obedience of faith, of course, is the obedience of Jesus Christ to fulfill that ministry. And not yours and my faith, it's the obedience of faith in Christ. And next we'll go into deeper into that. Next week in verse 21, it will deal with that. That of reconciliation by substitution. So reconciliation is the will of God. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We all know that verse, John 3.16. God established a way of reconciliation, desire to restore his people to himself and make us his children. That is the God that we love. That's the sort of desire is not foreign to God's holy character to be totally consistent with it. One of the glorious realities, actually, of God's person is that he is a saviour simply by nature. That is who he is. He is love, and love brings about reconciliation. This was not something that came out uh, came about at some stage during the history of man, but from the very foundation of the world all this happened. God determined to save sinners in order to eternally display the glory of his grace. It wasn't a gradual thing that came about and a good idea that came too. It was always there. He chose those he would rescue from his own wrath and from their sin and wrote their names in the book of life before creation. If we remember what we read in Ezekiel 34, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Now, that's not social justice. That is godly justice. That is where we get what we deserve if we are not in Christ. This same theme has continued right throughout when Paul then also writes in the Roman letter to the Roman church, chapter 5. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, well then how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through the son's life? Not only is this so, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He keeps coming back, keeps coming back. It is through Christ, it is by Christ, through Christ, on the cross. For you and I, this is of utmost importance, since God is an eternal God, and so are all his promises. No promises stops and stats and stops. It is an eternal promise. And therefore, what God have Ezekiel write to us and what Paul has also been given, we have been given as well. Same God, the same promises. The other truly important factor we also must have complete confidence in is the fact that he chose us. It's not you and I that one day in our feeble minds then discovered him and called on him. Didn't happen. Reading from Colossians will give you and I this assurance, an assurance it is if it was up to me and I changed my mind several times a day, then I would have no assurance. If it was my choice to be a Christian, I would then choose tomorrow not to be a Christian. But God chose us. In verse 20 in Colossians chapter 1, 
and through him, Jesus Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth and things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It's all God's. This saving and cleansing is also what then gives us this privilege of taking part in this ministry of reconciliation that he gave us, that of sharing the message of salvation the gospel with the world. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We've spoken on this before many, many times. He saves us, reconciles us to himself, and he does this for a purpose. He doesn't do it just because it seemed like a good idea at the time, It has got a purpose. In fact, what he does for you is what gives you purpose. And that purpose is plainly to serve him. To serve him with all your life, all your strength, all your heart. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He has, in other words, entrusted his most holy and merciful message to you and I, even as we were sinners ourselves. Just imagine it. He chooses what is bad to share the good. When Caleb was talking about placing his son on a cross looked like foolishness. Well then using you and I to bring goodness to the world, that kind of always foolishness as well. But please don't let the phrase reconciling the world lead you to the false teaching that this means God will reconcile every human being ever born to himself. That is called universalism. That is absolutely not what the Bible teaches. When we accept and understand that the entire Bible agrees with itself, there's not one verse that disagrees with another then the passage such as Matthew 25:41 makes sense then he will say to those on his left depart from me you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels see that sort of verse makes total mockery out of universalism the fact that the death of Jesus was and is enough for all men and women doesn't make it so which also what Paul makes clear to you in Romans 10.9, he then backs up on that. He says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God knows what's in your heart. He placed his Holy Spirit there to guide us in our walk with him. You have to believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, not just verbalize it. All of this then comes back again to the manner in which we respond if we truly believe in our hearts the mercy expressed in the gospel. Then we will also be certainly be changed if you understand all that 
understand what Jesus had to do and suffer, if that doesn't change you, there's something terribly wrong. And we will become that which Jesus said for us, our purpose. We will become wanting, we will be eager to share that news with the world. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. It's almost like the difference between a tourist and an ambassador visiting a foreign country. We speak of this subject a few weeks ago. If you consider the world your home, um, well, or if you belonged elsewhere, where is your home? Is it in the world or is your home heaven? If you are a visitor or tourist in this world, then some will behave in a manner that will honor the country you represent. Think of it in terms that you are representing God. Are you behaving in a way as a tourist in this world that shows that you honor God? Others, of course, will behave appallingly and totally dishonor your people. An ambassador must always behave well, must always show that he serves his country well. He also is a representative of the head of state of the country from where he belongs. Your head of state, in case you didn't know it, is God. You need to serve him, honor him. This is also how you and I should see our lives and our state of mind. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Well, up until now, this message, probably, has been about you behaving well. Representing Jesus in a broken world. And I could now ask all of you the same question. Do you think you are a good representative and a good ambassador for Jesus? But I won't. Because the answer in every case will essentially be the same. If you're honest. <laughs> that sort of message or behavior is really just a moralistic theology. That you can behave well and it doesn't get us anywhere. A moral message will essentially expect you to be good. And the Bible teaches us over and over that we are not good, at least not yet. When I started with a question, what is the outworkings of reconciliation? Firstly, we will arrive at the indisputable conclusion that we are not, not able to establish or bring about any true form of reconciliation, you and I, that is. If we really understand the magnitude of the reconciliation God has brought about, we will surely also know in our hearts that it will not be possible unless the originator is fully good, God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about making you behave better. I know that sounds a little bit wrong, but it's true. It doesn't make you behave any better so that you can show the world how good you are, but to show you how bad you are, so that you can be grateful to Jesus. That's how we show it. We need to show the world how grateful we are to Jesus. 
not for what he is doing for you, but what he has done for you already, which is this last sentence we had in this verse today. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For two people to be reconciled, one of them at least has to recognize they made a mistake or wronged the other person in some way or form. Obviously, in a human sense, this could be both of them. You know, if we have a disagreement, I could be wrong, but so could you. But in a gospel sense, it only requires one party to admit wrong and to repent of that wrong and believe the other person to be good. That's a different situation. Men like Daniel and Nehemiah, whom I, by the way, always speak of as wonderful examples of servants of the Lord. I mean, they were really uniquely wonderful men. They and others are not the central characters in the Bible. They're good people, so to speak, as we see them. But they were humans too. Their lives are so inspiring due to the fact that they always give all the glory to God. Even in their most dire moments, they still glorify God. And when Paul implores us to be reconciled, what he means is simply this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Rest all your hopes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the mercy of the grace of God be your fuel for the life that you lead. That you give you that, that, that fuel, that faith, that understanding, the love and the mercy will give you the sustenance to keep going even when life gets tough on you. Reconciliation is by and from God alone. Nothing that you and I have ever done or will do. And I implore you, believe this in your hearts and show the world the fruit of that faith. That is basically what Jesus wants from you. He's not saying you should behave good or well or anything else. He just wants you to show the world how grateful you are for what he has done for you. That is the message of the gospel. That is why we are ambassadors for God in this world. Let us live like that. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do thank you for this passage, for the clarity that you gave Paul, that we today can read, and through your guiding of your Holy Spirit, we can understand. And we pray, Lord, that as your Spirit guides us, we will continue to live out a life that shows how grateful, how grateful we are for what you have done for the plan that you have of salvation, for calling us to be yours. Lord, we ask that our lives may honour you in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.